0: And all she did was go to tell her story of how Jesus impacted her life. And may I remind you that we all have stories that we can share to others. All we need to do is tell our story of how Jesus has impacted our lives. Invite them to come and see. It may not be inviting them to come and see at the church. It could be an invitation to come to faith in Jesus Christ and see the truth of the gospel itself you're looking too
1: far for that need you have Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: We're looking at John chapter 4, the second half of it, verses 27 through 54 today, white for the harvest, and it's talking about the ripeness of of people's hearts towards salvation. There is the potential for people to be saved. What we need is laborers to go into the fields to bring in the harvest. And we're gonna look at that today as we pick up the story of the woman at the well. The week before we looked at the woman at the well, left off at verse 26, right when Jesus had announced to the woman that she had asked They say the Messiah is coming, and Jesus responded, I who speak to you am he. I am. Actually, the he is inserted in our Bibles. And so, I who speak to you am. And there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. We'll get to them, but this is kind of a a pre-I am statement, perhaps, where Jesus introduced himself to the woman And then at that point, there was this divine interruption. And we're going to see in our message today, White for the Harvest, looking at John chapter four, verses 27 through 54, we're going to find White for the Harvest, verses 27 through 38, many believed, verses 39 through 42, and the second miracle, verses 43 through 54. It's kind of long, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Uh, verses 27 through 38. It's our first point, and we're going to get the context. And then we'll open in prayer. John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come. See a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, the disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him, who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows, And another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And so, Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, Lord, that you would open it to our hearts today. Help us to see, Lord, that the truths of your word that have been recorded for us by the Apostle John help us to glean from them, help us to grow from them, help us, Lord, desire to be part of this harvest. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So while Jesus was talking with the woman at the well, his disciples returned. Kind of a divine interruption at this point. And they marveled that Jesus was talking to a woman. Yet they didn't ask to the woman, what do you seek? Why are you talking to him? And they didn't dare ask Jesus, why are you talking to her? No one dare ask why Jesus, a Jewish teacher, would speak to a hated Samaritan. But yet this is what Jesus came for. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. In Luke 7:39, it tells us, Now when the Pharisees had invited him and saw this, they themselves said, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who, what manner of woman, This is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. That was the same thing that was in the hearts of the disciples. They didn't know this woman. They just knew that she was a Samaritan, not part of the uh, Jewish people. They viewed her as the hated Samaritans. They viewed her as a sinner, just as the Pharisees viewed a woman who came to anoint Jesus. As he sat in the house, they saw her as a sinner. But the Bible tells us in Luke 19.10, Jesus saying, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And we find Jesus often touching the untouchables. That's what he does. Sadly, there are many in the church today that, in a similar way, are much like the Pharisees or the disciples, and they're fearful to touch the untouchables. But it's what the Lord has called us to do, to seek and to save that which is lost. And we find the woman herself, this novice witness in verses 28 through 30, she left her water pot, and that just is telling us that for a while at this point, no longer is she concerned about her physical need. That's why she came to the well in the first place was to retrieve water. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, even in a The day and age that we live in today, I looked at one of the government websites talking about water. They said, and I'm just pulling this from memory, but if water is not piped into a house, there are some places in our world today that women and children mostly are the ones who fetch the water, but they'll spend at least up to 54 minutes a day just getting water. And that's every day that they can survive. The need for water. That is what the woman at the well was doing. We don't know how far the city was from the well. As I was thinking about this this morning, when we were in Israel, what often would happen, they would dig a well, Jacob's well. They would build a city around the well because the water's there. It's convenient, right? You don't want to go too far for water. But over the years, and this had been a long time since Jacob and his servants had dug this well, the city that would be built up around the well would be conquered and rebuilt, conquered and rebuilt until the water source sometimes is far away from the city itself of that day. And so, you know, as the city is conquered... They would rebuild it and it would always be a little smaller than the original city. That's when you go to Israel today. You have what is called tells there. And you can be in total flat land and all of a sudden there'll be this pretty tall elevation of some. When we were in Beth Shane, we climbed to the 18th level of a tell. It was hot in Beth Shane. And uh, we climbed to this, and I don't—I sweat bad when I'm climbing little mountains, and that's what this was. The 18th level was the level of uh, this city where King Saul and his sons, when they were killed and beheaded, and they took and hung their bodies on the wall of Bethshain, that was the level that they brought this tell down to. And I can tell you that it's a pretty good climb to get to the top of this tell. It'll wear you out. When you get up there, you see some ruins, and you come back down again. So they would have a water source. They would get conquered, and the city would become further away from that water source as they continue to rebuild the cities. And so it wasn't in the city. It was outside of the city where this took place. But she left her water pot, no longer concerned with the physical, went into the city to talk to the men about the spiritual. Remember, the woman at the well, married five times, currently living with a guy, not a great reputation. She comes into the city, she talks to the men. There could have been five of her ex-husbands in part of that crowd right there. Come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done before. I don't know if I'd want to go and see a man who could tell me everything that I've ever done before, especially consider the testimony of the woman. Married five times, currently living with a guy, and the people of this city knew her story and yet she said could this be the Christ I don't know if she was a believer in Jesus Christ at this point but she knew enough to challenge her community could this be the Christ she asked could this be the Christ come see that was the message that Nathaniel heard from Philip when Nathaniel said in John 1:46, can anything good come out of Nazareth and Philip said come and see. It's a message that we can give to this day. Come and see as we open up God's Word. In the mid 80s, I read a book by Paul E. Little called How to Give Away Your Faith. And I, I looked for that book on my bookshelves today. I think what happens with some of my favorite books, I tend to give them away. So not only do I know how to give away my faith, I know how to give away books that often I wish I would have, in hindsight, I could have bought another one and gave that one away and kept the original copy. But How to Give Away Your Faith with Paulie Little was a book that I read in my mid-20s that really impacted my life. It talked about, and this is just me kind of remembering the book itself, about building relationships, finding connection points when sharing your faith with others. And all she did was go to tell her story of how Jesus impacted her life. And may I remind you that we all have stories that we can share to others. All we need to do is tell our story of how Jesus has impacted our lives. Invite them to come and see. It may not be inviting them to come and see at the church. It could be an invitation to come to faith in Jesus Christ and see the truth of the gospel itself. Well, while she's in the city, an evangelist there in the city of Sychar, the disciples are urging Jesus, verses 31 through 34, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he responds, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Now, the disciples had been given a task of buying food. Therefore, they wanted to share with Jesus the success. They came back with bread, fish. I don't know what they had, but they wanted to share with jesus in the food that had been provided at the most part at this point yes they had a heart for spiritual things otherwise they wouldn't have been with jesus but they still had a heart that was strong toward physical things and i believe at this point it held a greater hold upon the disciples than the spiritual things they didn't understand this mysterious food that jesus talked about like Job understood in Job 23, 12, who said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In his flesh, Jesus, he needed physical food. We know the story of the woman by the well. He remained at the well, one, because he had a divine appointment with this woman. Number two, the scripture tells us he was weary from his journey. It's not that Jesus didn't need nourishment, but Doing the will of his father was more important than the physical food that had been provided. It was spiritual things, as the word tells us in Matthew 4.4, 4, when Satan challenged Jesus to turn the stone into bread that he could eat after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Jesus saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my father's mouth. And Jesus tells his disciples two specific things that he was accomplishing with this mysterious food. One, doing the will of his father. And number two, finishing the work of his father. Doing the will of his father, in John six thirty eight, it tells us, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He wanted to do the will of his father, but also the work of his father. And he prayed, and David Fiorazzo read this verse last week as well. John 17, 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And the Tetelestai of John 19, 30, when Jesus cried out, It is finished. I want to do the will of my Father. I want to do the work of my Father. That should be our desire as well. So Jesus challenges them, tells them to lift up their eyes in verse 35. He says, you say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. Now, I either heard it preached a long time ago or read it in one of the commentaries. I didn't read this in any commentary this week as I was preparing for this message. I had heard at once that the Samaritans customarily wore white. And so as Jesus directed them to look, they saw the white clothed Samaritans coming toward them. I don't know if that's true or not here's what I do understand about this passage, referring to the harvest itself. For a a harvest to be white for harvest, it refers to the need of immediate attention. Harvest time is no time to take vacation. Think about this when those who farm or plant, and we've had our gardens and stuff. I was raised, as I've shared with you many times before, with a pretty large garden that my folks made us. It was almost cruel, unusual punishment. (laughs) Half acre garden that, you know, you couldn't do anything unless it was weeded. and, And we worked that garden all summer long. But in hindsight, I look back at that. And when Lily and I moved out to California, when we were 32 years old, it was really the first time in my life, that I had to eat frozen or canned vegetables because we grew it all, put it up. Even after we got married, we continued not by force. We wanted uh, the garden veggies and we went over to mom and dad's and made sure that that garden was worked. But planning vacation at harvest time is a difficult thing. You wanna plan your vacation while this crop is growing or after the harvest, but not when the harvest is coming in. And we've done that to Kevin and Melissa a few times. By the way, we're going to be gone, but the corn's coming in. Make sure that you go out there and harvest our corn for us. I'm sure they love that. <laughs> it's no time to take vacation. Think about it. The whole season of plowing and sowing and tending, all is in preparation for the harvest. There's a lot of work that goes into that. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And you don't want to leave when it's time for the harvest. Moreover, if the crops aren't harvested in time, it means that the process of decay and rot will take place and they'll soon be lost. Here's something to think about. It was written by Ken Ham in his book, Already Gone. Already Gone is talking about later grade school and high school students that by the time they reach graduation in high school they're already gone from the church but here's an encouraging thing that he wrote about this sad topic this is what I see I see a window of opportunity that any churchgoer can take advantage of two-thirds of the people who have left the church are either planning on coming back or they might consider coming back all it might take is a sincere invitation from a friend to encourage them to make the jump But this window of opportunity is slowly closing, meaning that the harvest is there and it might just take an invitation. They've been raised, and there is a number of people who have been raised in church even to this day. That number is decreasing, by the way, but they're there, and sometimes all it takes is an invitation to cause that person to begin thinking once again, thinking about the things of Christ, ready to take that jump jesus also talking about the harvest in matthew 9 37 and 38 he said the harvest is truly plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest jesus goes on in verses 36 to 38 to talk about the sowers and the reapers that we get to sometimes bring in the harvest That others have sown. And we just kind of come in on the tail end of it. That can happen with uh, people who do gardens. And they have plenty in their garden. Sometimes they'll tell someone, yeah, just come on over. Pick what you want. That person comes and they pick the corn, the beans, whatever they want. Because there's such an abundance. But they didn't plow. They didn't sow. They didn't tend it. They just come in for the bounty of it. They harvest other times, there are those who plow and sow and tend and they never are around for the, I mean, they could even pass away and die. Never come in for the harvest itself. And he talks about sowing and reaping here in this text. One sows and another reaps. And oftentimes in the Bible, when it talks about sowing and reaping, it's in a negative light, such as Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Where God says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to the flesh will reap of his flesh corruption, and he who sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Here, Jesus is talking in a positive light, teaching that by reaping the spiritual harvest, they will receive wages and gather fruit for eternal life. And both get to share in it, the one who sows and the one who reaps. It reminded me of several years ago, I think it was 2010, when Greg Glory and the Harvest Crusade came to Chicago. As a pastor, I was involved with that a year prior to the event taking place. In fact, I think out of respect to Calvary Chapel Movement, because Greg Laurie came out of the Calvary Chapel Movement as well, they had a special meeting with the Illinois Calvary Pastors. There's only a handful of us here in Illinois, and especially around the Chicagoland area, but Greg's men came out just for us to let us know that they were coming. And then they had the larger meetings that were involved with the larger churches in the area, and I attended both sides of those meetings. We, as a church, some of us making our way to Lake Forest to attend some of the meetings there. It was all in the preparation of the harvest and and Greg giving the message and then the invitation and the people coming to the floor of that arena that they might receive Christ. Sometimes we see big events like that and we forget about the work that the Lord has done and the sowing and reaping that has taken place on the grounds that we are currently worshiping at. The founding pastor has went to be with the Lord, but his family came into the area for a family reunion. They asked if they could come and see the church. We opened up the church for them. And during the midweek, we had a little service here. I was behind the pulpit sharing with them. They were sharing with us as well. And I learned a few things that I hadn't known about the fellowship. One of them is that the first sanctuary that was used to hold a service on this property was an old corn crib. That was the first church used to worship God here on this property. And I know that our church isn't the most modern facility, but the believers who constructed this, they shared with us that they prayed for every block that was laid. And at one point in the mid 70s, the spirit descended upon this fellowship and they took a body of 60 believers, and within three months, there were 300 people worshiping here. I was telling that story to Josiah this morning, and I said, can you imagine 300 people? We only have 180 chairs in the sanctuary. Can you imagine 300 people in this building? It's not built to hold that many people. And although the history of this place is not perfect for the sinfulness of man, challenges every generation it's been built upon the work of others there are those who have sowed and there are those who have reaped and sometimes when we reap a spiritual harvest here it's because of the sowing that had taken place many years before and I believe the fields are still white for harvest and we shouldn't merely pray for the harvesters but also challenge ourselves to become one of the harvesters we'll get out there as well